Acts chapter 18, we back up here to verse 20, and we're going to read 20 to the end, and we'll talk for a few minutes about some of those, because we've been talking the last couple weeks, but there's some other things that I think will be very fascinating to go over. And we see here Paul is laboring. Here he is, is going. He's, been, he's already been in Antioch and Thessalonica. He's, he was in Corinth. Now he's headed to Ephesus. Then he's going to Jerusalem. And he's got a lot of traveling to do. It says here in verse 20, chapter 18, When they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he consented not, but bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you, if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, that's very important, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come helped them much which had believed through grace, for he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. And that does not mean to say that at one point Jesus was Christ, and he, then at one point he was not Christ. This is a way of a Greek-speaking kind of terminology. Jesus was Christ in that time period that they were questioning, and that he is to this day. We see how Paul leaves Corinth. And he has his first major stop is in Ephesus, then on to Jerusalem and Syria ultimately. If you have the maps that I gave you, you can see the proximity. And if you take one point where Paul started in Corinth and he winds up all the way over near Phrygia and Galatia, it's well over a thousand miles. And remember, there are no cruise lines, <laughs> there's no airplanes, there's no helicopters. It's all by these real old rickety ships that they're sailing down here in, in some of these great waterways that are very dangerous, that have a lot of storms, and Paul never had a dull moment in his life. We see Paul does eventually leave Aquila and Priscilla behind in Ephesus. So a couple questions. Priscilla and Aquila, what was their claim to fame with Paul? What was it that they did with Paul so well? Anybody remember? Yes. And we talked about the tent making. They were basically like upholsters. They were real craftsmen. And these tents that they made, they would make them really for pretty much anybody around. And actually, it turns out, I come to find out doing a history, it was a very lucrative business. I mean, look at some of these businesses out here that put up canopies and do some of these outdoor events and all. I know a guy over where we work that he has a trailer company, and he decks them all out, these old trailers, and he fixes them up, puts bathrooms and kitchens and all in them, and the guy makes a fortune. He rents them out to these, these great big events. You know, if you've ever been down, I mean, I, Greg and I, we've been down to the stadium down there a few times to see games over the years and all. You'll see all these trailers lined up in these canopies. They make big money. That's what Paul did. It's a little more, a little more uh, probably, just, just a little bit more traditional and, a little, traditional and a, 
a, a little, little different back then, but he had a job, and I think that's a good thing. So Paul now, once he gets to Jerusalem, he's on his third missionary journey. He stops at Ephesus, and then he would come back later. He goes from Cantria to Ephesus. But what I find it fascinating. I mean, I've read this many times. All of a sudden, it just hit me. He, he splits. He winds up splitting on his own, and he leaves Aquila and Priscilla back in Ephesus. And I think we need to see what effect that had on the church and why it's so important. So we see Paul at Ephesus right now. We're going to start with him at Ephesus with Priscilla and Aquila, then he leaves. He would travel by ship from Cantria, from the Isthmus of Corinth, and sail down to Ephesus, which is referred to as the most important city in Asia Minor. Paul did not hide himself in these little corners of these areas where he really couldn't be seen. That's one thing. He would dead no problem going right in the middle of a war zone. And remember, Asia Minor, we're going to learn and we're going to see how devastating that was um, for the Christian church and how it was, very, uh, it was a, it was a very uh, extremely volatile place. The city of Ephesus was perhaps best known for its magnificent temple of Artemis or Diana, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was also an important political, educational, and commercial center ranking with Alexandria and Egypt and Antioch of Pisidia in southern Asia Minor. Remember, this little fledgling church in Ephesus was actually begun by the direction of Paul through Priscilla and Aquila, and Paul would actually return later on. And then we can read, because he returns, he's writing all along, then we get the book of Ephesians. And then we see he goes on to Galatia and Phrygia. Then we get the book of Galatians. And when he speaks to the Ephesians and the Galatians, actually at one point the Ephesians were crying when Paul left. They loved him so much. And they love to hear him speak in the encouragement. And I always find that a very good thing in a church when there's somebody that people can depend on and that pray for each other that's good leaders. And in this church, we have good leaders. We have Pastor Olson. You know you can always go to him if you need him. Pastor Coleman, you can always call him if you need him. Pastor Britton, that's not even a question. He loves when people call him. And we have three really good leaders here that we can go to. Well, the little churches could go to Paul. And although they didn't have cell phones, and they didn't have very quick way of media to get a hold of them, there was always a way the Lord would have them contact each other. There was by message, by some kind of messenger, by other Christians that had just seen Paul, they would go back and they would encourage and talk to them. And you see how this little church is now growing and how important it is that it's coming together. This little fledgling church, begun by Paul and Priscilla, now sees a new face here soon. After Paul left Timothy, he pastored the congregations for no less than a year and a half at Corinth, and then he actually, if you add it all up, was basically at Ephesus for a total of about three years. And the main objective was to counter the false teachings. There were influential people that were could to take the church and ruin it. It was their mission to try to take Christ's work and bend it and try to bring goddesses and gods in and to accentuate the Greek, all of the Greek lies in the pagan world and to bring it in and try to over, just try to overpower the Christian church. But it will never be overpowered. That's never going to happen. Can I get, uh, can I get, uh, Jerry, do you have your Bible? Could you read 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses, uh, I mean 1 Timothy 1 verses 18 to 20? 
just go ahead. I'll talk, you know me. I'll just keep running my mouth. You know that. And uh, you see, I'm Aeneas Alexandra. And he was probably an elder of a congregation. Paul comes back and he talks about Alexandria. And he talks about what a thorn in his side that he was. And you know, I think it's important that when there are liars in the church, they really do need to be uh, exposed so that people don't follow them, because we know that happens. It's very easy to follow liars, and Alexander was one of them. Jerry, if you have that, go ahead. Okay, well, I'll talk some more. This sounds very familiar today. There is a lot of dispute in the church over genealogies. These were two major things. Genealogies, and here's the big one. I know Mr. Roberta is going to smile when I say this one. Eschatologies. <laughs> That's a big one. I think that's a good word for Scrabble, too, eschatology. I think you get a lot, there's a 50 in there somewhere. Eschatologies. There are so much fighting today in the church over genealogies and eschatologies. And then we go all the way to Peter. Peter says, don't build your church predicated on what? The big T word. Anybody remember it? Traditions. How many people do you know predicate their eternity on tradition? Well, my grandmother did it. I mean, she could be roasting roosters in her, in her living room. And, ah, she did it, so I'm going to be doing it, you know. And that's what she worships. Yeah, it's, uh, my grandfather did it. Well, it doesn't mean that you're justified by it. Go ahead, Lisi. And then, Jerry, if you're ready after Lisi, uh, um, 1 Timothy 1, verses 18 to 20. Let Lisi, she's got a comment, and then you can read right after that, okay? Go ahead. Right. Yeah, it is. Right. Right. That's a great point because, you know, you see, you go into some of these, and I've been you know, like the little Fork United Methodist Church there, and what, what's going on there is totally different than what happened 50 years ago. And you see the families, they're all, they're buried in there, and they've, they've been there. They never hear the truth. It's very sad. Go ahead, Jerry, if you're ready. Can you imagine Paul the Apostle mentioning your name and saying, I've delivered you unto Satan? Paul had the power to heal people. We're going to see in chapter 20, he raised somebody from the dead. But he was talking about what, what when he calls some. Thank you, Jerry, by the way. When he calls somebody and he, convert, and he talks about that and he says that I have turned them over to Satan or I've delivered unto Satan, I think we need to look at that. And I think we need to answer the question, why did he say that? What was, so, what was so horrible about Alexandra? And this is the foundational principles that teach us as Christians 
where to go to stay on the highway of truth. What he was trying to say is, there is so much confusion as to what religion really is. Don't go away from what I'm trying to teach you. Now, we're going to look at Paul as the Pharisee in a little bit. And I want to do that because I heard a message this week by Pastor Derek Thomas down in Columbia, South Carolina. It was one of the most fantastic messages that I heard about Pharisees, and I'd never seen this point of view. Never. All the years I've heard, I've always heard about Pharisees, bad, 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 bad. Yes, they were. But the way he presents this really brings together what Paul, the brilliance and the organizational skills that Paul had to confidently speak like this. You have to have a lot of confidence to go in and to say what he did. You got to have a little lot of machismo to go in there and say that because he could have had his head cut off for what he said here. He goes into Ephesus. He, he, he later on, he expounds many other names of those that were going after that little work and they were trying to destroy it. And he's not doing it in this great big manse full of 300 people. There might not have been 10 to 20 people in these little churches. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> I mean, that's how he cared. His number one goal was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what he was trying to do is drive it home and show the difference between the people would go out in the streets, they'd see the Pharisees, they'd see the Hellenistic Jews, they were called, they were Greek-speaking Jews, and they would hear all these things, and all of a sudden one would talk about the goddess of Diana, one would talk about the philosophers, one would talk about Caesar. Caesar is supposed to be deity, remember Pharaoh. Pharaoh was supposed to be deity. He was. And that's something that we can't make light of because the leaders, they took the role as, as being deists. I mean, being their own deity. If you study Nero, Nero had all these laws predicated on beating down the people, but he never had to obey them. That's when you see a government that's a dictatorship. He didn't have to obey him himself. It's good for thee, but not for me. That's what we have today. We have to do everything they tell us, but they don't have to do it. See that? And here, this is what Paul was fighting. To hear Paul, he's, he's going after them, and when he says he's delivered up Alexander to Satan, what he is saying is, I have delivered his worship and his platform of religiosity up to Satan because he's a liar. He's not telling the truth. He's not giving the gospel, and he's not bringing this all together in truth. What was happening here is this was another works-oriented church that was doing everything that they could to profit off of it. Rachel and I had an interesting talk to church this morning. I mean, actually, I was doing all the talking as usual. And um, <laughs> I was really upset. I mean, in a, in a funny way. Has anybody pulled at the end of Sunshine Avenue and seen the sign in front of this church down the street? Well, it's like I told her, it's amazing how these churches never have signs and they put out on the front of those signs things where they're going upward with their theology. They're always going down the slope of, of absolute ridiculous lies. You're laughing. You saw the sign, didn't you? You didn't see the sign? <laughs> Last week, this church down here, which is supposed to be Episcopalian and Lutheran, they now have... Oh, but I think we missed it. I'm sorry, I didn't announce it. October the 2nd was Pet Blessings Day. 
bring your pet in for a blessing. Okay? Now they have faith healing services at the Lutheran Church now. You can sign up for them. Healing service now, once or twice a month now. The Lutheran Church is now getting into this. They're going to be healing. I mean, this has been the same, this has been the same jaws of life that have need to be pried open and dealt with for many, many years. People, and then sadly, people will fall for that hook, line, and sinker. They'll see it online, and they'll get involved in it. This is what Paul was doing. Paul was exposing this stuff. And I'm bringing this up very plainly, because I know I don't have to tell you. You've seen it. Have you seen some of the signs on some of the churches out there and some of the goofy things they have? This is what, and this is what's going on. Look, let's look a little more at Ephesus. Ephesus is considered one of the largest and most impressive cities in the ancient world. And it's always the same stuff. It's not great because of the gospel or the truth. It's great because in the ancient world there were great big buildings, great political, religious, and commercial centers in Asia Minor, greatly associated with the ministries of Paul. That's why we know about Ephesus. But in the day, it was the buildings, the pagan worship, the goddess Diana, and the money, and it was a great trade route, and it was an incredible port where all these countries came in and they did a lot of inventorying of goods. This is what made Ephesus... It, given its claim to fame. Let me read on a little bit. The church was very strong for a while. Like many churches, suffered a lot of attacks, divisions. And Paul and Timothy were very concerned about that church, and they worked very, very hard. The ancient city of Ephesus is located in Western Asia Minor, and there are many significant historical takeovers in ancient Ephesus going all the way back to 500 B.C., the Persian Empire, which is one of those empires, if you don't know this, the Persian Empire is one of those empires that perfected crucifixions. I was reading about that. You think Rome was bad? Their crucifixions and Egyptian crucifixions were brutal. And they were one of them. They took over Ephesus in 500 B.C. They took it over. No, you have to read about it. It's a very incredible history and where Ephesus finally came on. And it was a very brutal town. And the reason I'm bringing this under Persian Empire and their government, Paul right now, once again, is in the middle of a hotbed. They could have easily have grabbed him and crucified him and nobody would have done anything about it. They had a history of that. And here he's, he's standing there and he's calling them liars. I love that. I think it's great. Because they were liars. Two significant takers of the city in Ephesus was from Cyrus of Persia and later Alexander the Great. He had his claws into Ephesus. It was also very important to note the authenticity of Scripture. And one of the ways we can do that is through the importance of geographical locations. And that is important because everything the Bible says is there in Ephesus. When Ephesus says it's a great, great town in Asia Minor, it's a great town in Asia Minor. If it, says, if it gives an actual, an actual location, Scripture is pinpoint accuracy on every geographical location it's ever talked about. That's another part of its authenticity. I mean, it's a real GPS. You could actually use the maps in the, old, in, you know, in the back of your Bible, if you went over there, to find some major historical sites. It's true. Ephesus was the location of the great temple of Artemis or Diana built in 550 BC. The temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And it was 420 feet long, 220 feet wide. Each of its 127 pillars which supported the roof of the colonnade was 60 foot high. 
I would say they really had a high opinion of the goddess of fertility to build a manse that big for that filth. And what went on, I don't even want to say it out of my mouth, what went in some of those temples. It was so filthy. Lisa. Reminds me of that thing, what's it called, the Cirque de la Soul or Cirque de la thing, where those people, it's all today, they fly around in their pajamas and stuff. You know, that's that. They, they have that in churches now. They do. I've, seen, I've watched videos of it. They have a church service for 10 minutes and they have, they have, uh, they have, the, um, they have body surfing and then they'll have somebody descending down from the ceiling. And, and then they had this great big thing out in Ohio where they had a, it was in a big Baptist church. And then when they had this big thing, they had a remote, they, they thought they would try a remote, a, a remote control microphone. And this, this poor woman, she's all in a, she's all in a big uh, spiritual high, and she wants to get baptized. And listen, the guy dropped the microphone in the baptismal pool and killed her. She got electrocuted. I, it's crazy things that goes, goes on. We see this third missionary journey and how we see that the craftsmen sold shrines and household images of the goddess. The worshipers could take them with them on their long journeys. <laughs> That's, that reminds me of that uh, guy Schuler that you, you could use to, he would, you would send, he would send you prayer cards, and if you send him $2 back, you could continue to be blessed with, with all of that. Remember him? They found a bunch of the cards in his dumpster one time, people sending him cards, and you could actually buy. Does this sound familiar, going to all like amusement parks and stuff, and you go there and you buy little figurines of your favorite cartoon character, and little dolls and stuff? That's what was going on here in the temple. You could buy little statues of Diana, and you could stick them on the dashboard of your horse and carriage, and you'd be continued to be blessed while you're plopping down the, the, and those, old, those old bumpy roads. <laughs> you, she, he would have a, you would have her statue, and she would watch over you. You know how much money they made off of that? So when Paul comes in and he proves to them that it's nothing but a big smokescreen, of course they wanted him dead. The Ephesians were proud of their religious heritage, as bad as it was, and its accompanying legends. We read in Acts chapter 19, verse 34 and 35. Could I ask uh, maybe Jacob, could you look that up? Acts 19, 34 and 35. And remember... Look at the first word. This is, the, this is like the apostolic, therefore. Look at the first word in Acts 19.34. Read the next verse, please. 
Right. You see what's going on here? It says, but when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space for two, they cried out. They're like, wait a minute. This can't happen. We've heard about this guy. We've heard about this Paul the Apostle. And he's going into all these different cities and he's just stirring the pot. He's really, he's really making some enemies here. Well, there's something. Lisey, go ahead. Right? Right? <laughs> two hours can seem like a lifetime when people are threatening your life. And two, he, he went and he sat there. Well, look at Mars Hill. That was more than two hours. Look what they did to him at Mars Hill. And, and, and you talk about a superhero. Paul never budges the whole time. He, even, he mocks Alexandra. He mocks Diana. And then he had already mocked the unknown God up at Mars Hill, which is another way of getting executed by talking against their gods. Lisa. Right. Right. And it's happened. It, it's happened. <laughs> We've seen it. Right. 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 Amen. Right. That's right. And you know what that brings up? What that brings up brings the point is, and I and I like to go through this kind of a little bit forensically to just give you an idea what the Lord's laid on my heart about the hard ministry of Paul is what Lisa's talking about with how Paul is unwavering. It's no wonder you read later in the prison epistles where he cries out. He's basically, as Dr. Sproul always used to say about this event, he used to say that Paul was in the grip of ambivalence. See, when Paul was doing this, he didn't go on, get paid a big salary, and go home and sit and watch TV and then just, have, and, and just comfort himself. He never stopped. And what he lived, his life was being in the grip of ambivalence. What were the two things that he was struggling with the most? Whether to be here, which is needful for you in the flesh, or whether to be with Christ, which is far better. And that's all he thought about. He was so thankful that the Lord plucked him out of his old life. He said so many times, O wretched man that I am at the end of Romans 7, how, can, how could I ever be saved? He, he would ask the questions, how could I only buy by, by the gospel of Jesus Christ, not myself? 
and he would say, he would, he would talk about the apostles and say, of which I am the least, because I persecuted the Christian church, and he carried that with him. And here he had that love for Christ, and this is what makes him so a real Christian Iron Man, as Lisa's talking about his unwavering. He was incredible. We see on his third missionary journey, Paul's on his way to Antioch, but he stops at Jerusalem. What we do know is Paul went to Jerusalem to greet the church. We remember this back in Acts 15 when this church met to discuss the problem of circumcision. So right now, he's got a, there's Priscilla and Aquila, and then Apollos, as we read, will be up there with them as they are teaching and as they are preaching in that little church in Ephesians. And it was Aquila. Aquila, he was the one doing the preaching, but Priscilla helped him. There they are building that church, and then Paul leaves. He splits. Why? Why is it that he just leaves them? But he does come back. And what happens there I find is incredible. First of all, Apollos is not, his name is not supposed to be predicated on Apollo. He wasn't some Greek god. It was more of a Hellenistic, Greek-speaking Jewish name. And he was there. Basically, what they were training him is to take the Old Testament and learn how to apply it to the new Christian church, which is the old Christian church revealed in the New Testament, the old covenants, the old law. He's basically being taught, you're not abrogating the law. You're not taking the law and you're pushing it away. You're going to show how Christ fulfilled the law, how he died, how he was buried, how he was resurrected. And you're going to bring the first advent of Christ together, show his ministry, and you're going to be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what Apollos was learning. Now, while he's with Priscilla and Aquila... Paul has to go to Jerusalem. I find it incredible. With all of the little stops he could have made along the way, he went straight back into the town of Jerusalem. And I think I know why. There were problems in the other churches. And I believe they were having a presbytery meeting. That's what I believe what they were doing. If you go back to Acts 6, and if you see the construct of the way that the church councils got together, their presbytery meeting was exactly like ours. Because there's one reason, the main reason why. Nobody could be a dictator and not have some kind of accountability. And Paul was always back there to have accountability. He would talk to Peter, he would talk to James, and he would talk to the other men, and he would pray with them. He would present his cases, and those cases would be analyzed, and they would all leave that council together. If there was a problem, they would deal with it. If there was wonderful things happen, they would encourage each other. That's what a presbytery is all about. And that's what it's so important to have congregational meeting, have presbytery meetings, and have accountability. Nobody can be a dictator in a presbytery. That's what's so important. I mean, a real presbytery. I'm not talking about the USA church, which is a joke. PCA is kind of not far behind them. But I'm talking about a good presbytery. Nobody can just run away with everything and not be, and, and not be held to some kind of standard. And I think that's why Paul was there. He always made sure he went back and he had accountability. And he would talk to me. He and Peter, they went at it. Now, they loved each other, but he and Peter, they were, I mean, they're supposed to be two real major, major uh, uh, pivotal uh, um, examples in the Christian church. Those two went back at it, back and forth, all throughout the New Testament. But they prayed for each other. They did love each other. Look at Barnabas and Paul. This all happened at the last church council. There was real problems with Barnabas that Paul comes back and he says that his ministry was very, very worthwhile. And I love that because they loved each other. 
But he goes back to Jerusalem. That was about a 900-mile trek all the way from Corinth, on by ship and then by foot. And we see here how important it is, just like we just had our presbytery two Fridays ago, and there were problems. There, was, there were problems that we had to deal with, that we prayed about, things that are being handled, things that are being worked through. And it's wonderful to sit with that body of pastors and elders and work through it together. That's what I, I believe that's what he was doing. Well, we see that these Judaizers that Paul and the council, or we could call it their presbytery, were in a sense, at, at, he was going after, I believe one of the things they were going after at the church council, you have to read and you have to look at it, I believe it was kind of like present-day antinomianism. I believe there was a lot of people that were going against the law of God, and I believe that they were back there and they were working on that to tell exactly how important it is to stay close to the law of God and to not go outside it. How were they going outside it? All these other churches and all these other councils and all these other things that were going on, there was a lot of paganism, and I believe that they were dealing with that. And what Lisa was saying about the unwavering nature of Paul I think is very important I hear a lot today, many people say it, I hear it on the radio, other people say, I believe we're very close to the end times. Well, if you look at the relativism that's around us, I believe that's the very same thing that Paul was going through. That you didn't live in a time where you rebuked and you pulled people down from their pedestals. Everybody seemed to think that their religion was the right way to go. I don't think it's that much different today, even in America. Sadly, the church is going so far off the beaten path in many ways. Lisa? His own eyes, right. 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 Yeah, I mean, if you just say if you were to say if you were like an electric vehicle, which I don't like, but if you were, Sunday morning worship is your charging station, and <laughs> that gets you going for your worship through the week. That's your recharge, and it's not supposed to just be where you walk in and you leave, and you're like, all right, that's it for me. I've had enough of Jesus now. I'll wait till next Sunday. No, it's a, it's it, it just keeps on going. You know, it's a good thing. You know what, uh, talking about the, the councils and what Paul was up against, John Calvin brings up a very quick good question as to Paul's involvement in the matter, which he would head to Jerusalem Council and make a defense. And here is the question from the great reformer John Calvin. He asks, Why doth not Paul then disassemble, at least for some short time, lest he shake the church with conflict? And that, I think, is a very, very important um, foundational principle because he's going to resolve conflict. He's there to encourage the other brethren. Paul thought even though this was an internal issue in the church and not, and not out approaching unbelieving towns on his journey, he could not de deny Christ by turning a blind eye. And this goes back to Acts 15 when there was a real disagreement between the Gentiles being circumcised. And I want this to slide right in. Before we leave here, I want to just say this about Paul and I want to tell you about that message I heard. We see that the, Paul was speaking and he was wonderfully proclaiming the light of Christ in the church here on this earth where there's so, many, there's so much dark light with false doctrine that, that the, the dark darkness 
The only way the darkness could be lit up is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no dark light in a pagan church. It's all darkness and it's all lies. But when you have Christ and the switches turn on, remember in John chapter 3 when Christ is talking to Nicodemus, what did he say? That the light overcomes darkness. Darkness can never defeat the light. Never. It can't do it. And Christ is that light. We see that with the, the light of the church being darkened in that day, when there was Christianity, many of the churches were falling away. Paul was there to bring that light. Here's the message that I heard. I'm going to go, I'd like to go away from the geographical and the doctrinal portion and maybe some of the application to Paul, the former Pharisee. There are a lot of things that Paul still did as a Pharisee. And I love that. And what do I mean by that? Paul was trained by Gamaliel. And I think that was a good thing for him. Because the Lord had that. What I love about what Derek Thomas said in that message, he said, as far as a Pharisee would go, you would love to have a Pharisee as your next-door neighbor. Because a Pharisee as a next-door neighbor, you could give him the keys to your house. You could give him the keys to your safe, the keys to your garage. And their objective was to follow the law to the letter all the way down the line and to be a good person. But there's one thing that they lacked. They did not, and I, I never really thought of it like this, they did not have a righteous or a correct acknowledgement of their sin. They didn't. Lisey. That's just what you're talking about. Like the people of Romans 10. Right. I think that a real church should love that, but it's not in accordance with Right. They were good people. I mean, they would tithe. <laughs> they would forensically tithe. They had an extra bumper crop with some extra mint or cumin. They would give 10% of that. They would travel over land and sea for one convert, which means locally they would be looking for lots of converts. This is what Paul was brought up. You know what I believe? And I, and I, heard, I remember an old saying I heard back in the 80s. A good executive knows how to delegate authority. Why I think the Christian church, in my opinion, on a business level did so well was Paul was an excellent executive. He knew where to appoint people. He checked on them. He, he would go, he would garden those churches. He would go back. He would pray with them. He would encourage them in the Lord. And I believe that he had very good leadership skills. And I think that's, and I believe that that, that came from his, his training. That's right. From the Pharisaical order through Gamaliel. He learned organizational skills. He learned leadership qualities. He learned how to place people. He learned how to talk to them. But then things changed when he became a Christian. But I believe he kept a lot of that, uh, a lot of those leadership qualities in his heart. This is what I believe he did with Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos. He gave them leave as not to be overbearing and burdensome to, to their ministry or to his. I believe he felt that it was time to leave them because they needed some space. They needed to grow. They needed to breathe. And he would come back and check on them. And so he did not want to be burdensome to them. He didn't want them to be burdensome to him. And it was time. He knew, and he knew it because the Holy Spirit motivated him and showed him. He motivated them through Christ. I love motivational encouragement. I don't know about you, but I just love motivational encouragement. 
I was greatly devoid of it growing up. <laughs> I'd love to hear motivational and encouraging quotes. Paul motivated those with him and appointed them to their work, and he always uplifted them. Here's some, here's some like, uh, way later day quotes you know, that were not too long ago, and I love some of these quotes. Here's one of them about motivation. Try not to become a man of success, but rather try to become a man of value. That was, that was uh, quoted by Albert Einstein. It's hard to beat a person who never gives up. Babe Ruth. I think that's a good one. Well done is better than well said. Benjamin Franklin. I think those are some of really very good principles. And I think Paul never, I, I don't ever even read of him ever going to any of the Christian churches and going there and lashing out against them and putting them down and just making them feel like they're nothing. He was always lifting them up. And he was always showing them their worth. And we can see that in his writings. We see that Paul, being a Pharisee of the Pharisees, would have been taught great leadership skills. He, as a Pharisee, would have had integrity. One you could give the keys to your house to. He would have scribes. He would be organized. He would probably have a very precise day planner. You could see Paul with Google Calendar. You know, he'd be sitting there if he had a self. That thing would be filled up. Ah, Ephesus here, Phrygia, Galatia. Then I'm going to head on up. You know, it would be completely just you know, beeping all the time. You know, he had probably a very good day planner. He still had the skill, but there were three main or two main characteristics that made him different. And we'll leave with this. What made Paul different from the old Saul, where he carried all these qualities? Number one, God's word now became his only rule of faith instead of the Torah. Number two, his organizational leadership skills were not were were not were, were to obey now Christ as the Messiah, and with that to guard in the Christian church, instead of seeking out entitlement from the Jewish council to go persecute more Christians. He's now there teaching them. He's not killing them. <laughs> That's big. This is a manifestation of this. We see that there's this, this, this extension of what the Holy Spirit does in the church and we'll stop with this. We still see it today in, these little, in our little churches. We still see the same, you know, you talk about all the stuff that's on the internet and how much money you can make by having a YouTube channel and get millions and millions of viewers and people. You get so many, they start paying you. Can you imagine what Paul would be getting paid now for all the people that read those, the works that he had in the New Testament? You do realize he wrote over 60% of the New Testament, don't you? I believe he had a big part in Hebrews. I believe he had a hand in that. But can you imagine what he would be worth today with all the people that ever read his work and people that have gotten saved? Remember Job said, after you read Job, and he comes back and he says, if only a book could be written about what's happened to me. You know, I paraphrase that. <laughs> We've been reading about old Job. Anyway, I'll finish there. So let's, uh, next week we'll finish up 18 and go into 19 in, in Acts. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this time together. We thank Thee, Lord, how important the church is and how physically we are to enter ye into His gates with praise, into Thy sanctuary, into Thy courts with thanksgiving. Lord, we are to uplift each other and encourage each other. And there's many ways of doing that. And I pray, Lord, that we'll learn from Paul 
And I ask, Lord, as we continue to look in the book of Acts, that we will see these incredible events coming up and they will just, uh, just really glorify our hearts and uplift them. Thank thee, Lord, as thou hast answered our prayer this morning at the beginning of the class, that Pastor Coleman and Miss Melly are here safely with us after a long drive. I pray that our, the message this morning, that our hearts would, our ears, our eyes, our hearts would be open to hear these words and that we hear the book of James. What a wonderful book to be learning this morning. And I thank thee for that. And just bless us as we worship together. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.